Let's go ahead and look at our scripture that can be found in Luke 18, 8 through 30. Luke 18, 8 through 30. It's in your bulletin. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or mothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The word of the Lord. Well, I'd like to start off my sermon with some useless trivia. I find this to be the best way to start off any sermon. In fact, I basically uh, run my life in this way. Useless trivia is how one begins. And the question is simply this. Would you rather have one penny doubling over itself for a month or a million dollars? So you come to me, I'll give you two choices. I'll give you a million dollars or I'll give you one penny doubling over itself for a month. Now, it's not as simple as it seems, so we're going to take a little bit of a vote. Who would rather have the million dollars up front raise your hand? Who would rather have a penny doubling itself over, uh, 30 day, over a month? Who does not have a clue and fears raising their hand for being embarrassed? The majority of our people. On the face of it, it would seem that the penny doubling over itself is a ridiculous idea. So, day one, it's a penny. Day two, it's two pennies. Uh, day five, it's a whole 16 cents. A long way from a million dollars, I might add. In fact, by day 20, it's only 5,000 bucks compared to a million. But, we see what starts to happen. On day 21, 5,000 becomes 10,000. And on day 22, 10,000 becomes 20,000. And it builds and builds and builds. In fact, by day 27, 670,000. Day 28, 1.3 million. Day 29, 2.6 million. Day 30, 5.3 million. And of course, if it's a 31 day, 6.6 million dollars. The law of progression. Amazing, isn't it? You know? Some of us, uh, if you bought Apple stop, stock back in the day, are loving life. And if you bought some sort of very dumb stock like me, you're hating life. It's not only fiscal decisions that determine destinations, i.e. wealth or poverty, but all decisions determine destinations, don't they? Moral decisions, as we think upon our life and the decisions we've made, 
and what has come out of them. And certainly spiritual decisions. God has given to us the greatest gift. And the gift that he gives us is the gift of choice. To choose our destination. We have a misnomer in this country about what free will is. Free will is not autonomy. In other words, I can choose whatever I want and there are no consequences for it. But rather, the gift is to choose what I want and to receive the consequences that come with it. And so this is what we are examining today. Here is a man who has a decision to make. A path that he wants to go with. And the path that he chooses will ultimately determine his destination. Each of us have the right and the privilege and freedom that God gives us to choose what we want. Whether that be God or something else. The reality is if we look at our world, that man makes a choice. We want salvation, but we don't want God. But the truth of the matter is that heaven without God is actually hell. God did not come to give us heaven. He came to give us himself. Jesus has come into this earth to save us from ourselves and to bring us to himself. So what is it that we will choose? An independent, righteous life or him? That is the choice that this man faces. It is the choice that we all face. I want to look at this passage and we're going to break it down into three sections. The first section, the first hour of my sermon will be over this point. Number one, what is it that man wants? What is it that man wants? Number two, how are we going to get it? And number three, what is the result of the right choice? What is it that man wants? How do we get it? And what is the result of making the right choice? Let's begin with the first point. What is it that man wants? What is it that this man wants? And a ruler asked him, as verse 18 says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, let's look at this man a little bit. First of all, we know that he is a ruler. Now remember, Israel is under the thumb of the Romans. And so what is the exact type of ruler he is? Most likely, based at looking at the book of Luke, he's a religious ruler. Either a member of the synagogue, or he's a, uh, excuse me, he's a, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling party. Or he is a member of, uh, he's the synagogue ruler. So it, Israel is a theocracy. He is a religious ruler means he's a man of standing. In fact, we see that he is quite wealthy. He's rich. He's religious. He's a ruler. He's also hard of hearing. How do I know this? If you think of the passage that I preached on last week, and the text literally goes right from the last passage into this one. There's no break. If you remember, Jesus was talking about who can inherit the kingdom of life, kingdom of heaven. Indeed, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child cannot enter it. And this man, after hearing that, immediately asks this question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? 
Now what's he really asking? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Is he really asking about inheriting eternal life or is he really asking about meriting eternal life? It's a difference between meriting and inheriting, isn't there? Meriting is something that's based on my efforts. You know, you put in the time, you do the work, you merit your wage. Inherit is a little bit different, isn't it? Inherit normally is based on identity. My children, as I say to them, one day all of this will be yours, children, as I get a snicker or two. The inheritance that my children will receive is not based on their merit. It's rather based on their identity, that they are mine. This, teach, this person, this ruler that's coming is really asking the question, what must I do to merit, to inherit, but to merit eternal life? The reason he's asking this question is because he doesn't realize who it is that he's asking the question to. He has an identity problem. Good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now society back then had some rules to it. And one of the main rules is if you compliment someone, they compliment you back. He's recognizing that he's a teacher and a good teacher. And he's expecting that this teacher is going to, in essence, ultimately validate him. What good thing must I do, actually, the book of Matthew says. It's not just what must I do, the parallel passage. But what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's ready to list his criterion just a little bit. Now what difference does it make, really? Why does he ask the question? Why does being good matter? What good thing must I do? We all inherently understand that being good and doing good is extremely important to inheriting or meriting the kingdom of God. If I was good to go down to the beach right now and ask ten people, do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Eight or nine of them would say yes. And if I asked them the question, why? They would say, because I'm a good person. I do good things. We understand that good is the standard because God is good, right? And a good God will expect us to do good as well. First Chronicles 16, oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. This synagogue ruler would know the passage in which the question is asked, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. It's the man that does good, that has clean hands and a pure heart. That is the person who may ascend. And so this person, this rich ruler who's coming to this good teacher is approaching, but not for salvation. 
He's approaching for validation. See, here's what somebody looks like who's approaching for salvation. If you took a drowning man, okay, saw someone drowning, and you went, he wouldn't be asking the question of how to be saved. He would be saying, save me. He would be acknowledging the fact that he cannot be saved. He would be crying out as a, I talked about the person a couple weeks ago. Oh Lord, have mercy upon me. No, this man is not coming for salvation. He's coming for validation. He's not saying save me. Rather he's saying what stroke do you think I should use to get to shore? Jesus sees through this and responds. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus actually answers the man's question, doesn't he? What good thing must I do to merit eternal life? And Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. In other words, what good can you do to merit eternal life? You can't do anything. For as Romans says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands and no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There was no one who does good, not even one. The man is looking for validation from the good teacher. But Jesus gives none. Because Jesus did not come to bring validation. He came to bring salvation. He came to save the drowning, not to give stroke advice. See, ultimately, what does the man want? He doesn't want God. See, if he wanted God, he would see him right in front of him, right? We find what we're looking for. Here is God right in front of him, but he doesn't see God because he's not looking for God. He doesn't want to see God. Rather, he wants to be God. He wants God to validate his existence. God, the man Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ to this rich ruler is not the end but rather the means to the end. See, this is ultimately the problem of man. Remember man who lived under God, under his authority as he walked through the garden, was given the task to cultivate the world. And Satan comes and says, did he say you could not eat from this tree? If you eat from it, you will not die. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can be independent. You can be autonomous. And man ate that fruit. And man continues to eat it. The problem with our world is we want to live it independent of God. We throw off the fetters. We throw off any responsibility to anyone other than ourselves. In fact, the only role we want for God is not as Savior, but as validator. Validate our existence as equals. But we know the truth of the matter is that ultimately, the problem with this man is not his actions, but rather his heart. The sum of the law is this, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We were made for him. 
there's a God-shaped hole in our heart. And as Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Him. So any illusion we have of heaven without God is ultimately ridiculous because a heaven without God is hell. What we're looking for is God, but not this man. You know, there's a coup d'etat almost every year. I think it was Turkey this year. Burundi and a couple other nations. I follow these things. I'm sure you do as well. There's something that happens whenever there's a coup d'etat. When a new state comes to power. Right? In fact, most of the coup d'etats, if you look at them, have been establishing a new uh, autocratic power, a new dictator. But the first thing that they want is recognition. They go to the United Nations. They go to the rest and they say, acknowledge us. Because then we have legitimacy. Then we have our place at the table, so to speak. See, that's what this man is doing. That's what our world does. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we have come to this place looking for? Is it for salvation? Or is it for validation? Is it for merit? Or is it for inheritance? Have you come to be recognized by God? Bringing your accomplishments with you. My title. My job position. My great religious learning. My accomplishments. My standing in the community. As we come before God. To be validated for our existence. Have we come to be recognized? Or have we come to recognize that there is a God and I am not Him? That there is nothing in my hands which I bring? That I need someone to save me rather than advice on how to be saved? Christianity is different from every other religion in that every other religion you're saved by following the advice of the founder. But in Christianity you're saved by the founder. And so what is it that you want? Salvation or God? The truth of the matter is they're the same. We must recognize that we need saving. That a savior has come, not a validator. And that ultimately what we want is not independence, but rather God ourselves, for ourselves. This brings me to point two, much quicker than one hour. How does he get what he is looking for? How do we get what we're looking for? Jesus humors the man in verse 20. Well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. The man responds, All these I have kept from my youth. Now when you think about this, depending on how you interpret them, some of them are relatively easy. I've never uh, murdered someone. This man who's religious, he's maybe never cheated on his wife. He's maybe been faithful. He's never committed adultery. Maybe he's never even stolen before. But we know the truth of the matter is this, that it's deeper than just a question of the hand. 
See, the religious rulers in Israel were very smart. They externalized all of these rules, put caveats in place, a couple of quid pro quos, so to speak, by which you could make sure if you were tallying the score in a certain way that you could come before God and say these things. But we know that Jesus has shown us the true meaning behind these things. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Say you haven't committed adultery, but if anyone looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Maybe you haven't murdered, but anyone who looks at his brother with hatred in his heart, it's as if he's already committed murder. You can certainly apply these things in a host of, different, of these commands. Do not steal. Well, maybe you've never taken something physically, but have we not stolen in our hearts? Do not bear false witness. Well, I know this man is breaking it because he's lying to Jesus and to himself right now. No, he's hard of hearing. All these I've kept, he says. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. These words still lack in the Greek. You could translate it this way. You still have an obligation to fulfill. Jesus doesn't even challenge this man on what he's done or not done. Because the truth of the matter is if he had done all of these things, but done them for the wrong reason, they would be wrong. See, the right thing for the wrong reason is wrong. And ultimately, we know that the reason that you are supposed to do these things is for the love of God. And this man has demonstrated that the one thing that he does not want is God. The problem is not this man's actions. The problem is his heart. And so Jesus gives the solution, right? One thing you're still obligated to do. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Whenever we hear this passage, this is what our ears normally hear. Give away all of your treasure and you'll be fine. It's not what this passage is saying, is it? It's not saying to give away your treasure. It's saying to transfer your treasure. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus is saying you have it all wrong. The treasure that you're holding on to is not the treasure that you truly desire, the right treasure. So transfer it. Transfer the treasure of this world for me instead. See, the treasure that you have right now is keeping you from following me. It's one or the other. The treasure of the world or the treasure of me. All of these other commandments and everything here don't make one whit of difference if the treasure of his heart is not God. He's simply playing a game of trying to be God by being good. 
And so what does this man do when he hears this tremendous offer? But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. He went away. Sad. You know, a different passage, it actually shows this ruler coming before Jesus and falling on his knees. He's not content with what he has. He's trying to find a solution because he may be trying to do all of these things. But ultimately his problem and why he is empty is because he doesn't want God. He was looking for a formula and Jesus offered himself. See, Christianity ultimately boils down to one simple question. What do you want? The world or me? What do you want? Salvation or God? They're the same thing. We're all built to worship something or someone. We can't help it. Everybody has a God and every God has a price. See, it's not a question of cleaning up our act. It's a question of giving away our heart. As we hear this, we think of the question, how is this even possible? How can we be saved? God thankfully says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. What we need is grace. What we need is God who will reach into our hearts and show us how empty and vapid are these things that we wrap our hearts around. A gracious God who by His irresistible grace, His demonstration of love will move us in such a way that we'll fall in love with Him that nothing else will do that will lay down the treasures that so grip our hearts that we might pick up the ultimate treasure communion and union with God I think of a song called I'd Rather Have Jesus classic old hymn little story behind the song it was written by Ray Miller uh, with the tune written by George Beverly Shea the poem written in 1922 was left on a piano in the Shea home by Bev Shea who wanted her son to find it and change the course of his life. The words, I'd rather have Jesus moved George so much and spoke to him about his own aims and ambitions in life that he sat down at the piano and began singing them with a tune that seemed to fit the words. Shea's mom heard him singing it and asked him to sing it at church the next day. George's life direction did change. He was offered a popular music career with NBC, but a few years later became associated with the evangelist Billy Graham and sang this hymn around the world. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dreadful sway. 
I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. You see, how you approach God shows ultimately what you want. There's some that don't approach him at all. They're not interested. They'll receive what they want. There's some that approach with a contract. Let's make a deal, God. My good actions for your validation. And there's some that approach with open arms. I've tried everything else, but nothing else will do. God grants us the dignity of choice. And you will get what it is that you want. So I'm pleading with you to don't settle for anything less than Jesus. Don't settle for the world and lose your soul. Don't give up your treasure. Trade it. Trade up for the one who made you, the one who saves you, the one who brings you life. Jesus came to save us from ourselves and bring us to himself. Salvation or God, they're the same thing. Well, what are the results of a satisfied life? So thankful for Peter at the end of this passage in verse 28. See, Lord, we've left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. See, Peter is saying, we're, we're all in. What's here for us? Let's not be so simplistic as to misinterpret this verse and pull it out of the rest of the Bible. Does not the Bible also say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, not abandon her. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He's talking about our hearts to give up, to give to God our most important treasure, to live this life for Him. Peter is saying we've traded our treasure. Jesus says, oh, you'll receive many times more in this life. He's not talking about something as silly as the prosperity gospel. Jesus is not interested in blessing your lifestyle. He came to bless your life with Him so that we might receive Him. As C.S. Lewis said, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither. Jesus came to bring himself into my life. In the midst of my relationships with my wife and my children. In the work that I do. In the way that I see the world. In the peace that I can have. Jesus came to bring me joy because he came to bring me himself. And in the age to come eternal life 
Did not Jesus say in John 17, Now this is eternal life, that you may be knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so my friends, each one of you and I, if you have traded the treasure for the treasure, must treasure the treasure. Remember the story of a pastor walking down the street and as he passed a rickety little shack, he heard a voice saying in wonderment over and over, all of this and Jesus too. Not being able to pass by without satisfying his curiosity, he peeked in the window. And at a meager table knelt a withered old man, his body ravaged by years in the mines, and in his coal-stained hands he held a piece of bread. And before him was a small bowl of very thin porridge. The dear saint lifted his eyes and hands toward heaven and once again explained with deep adoration and thankfulness all of this and Jesus too? I mean, in the end, does it really matter whether you're the CEO of a company? Whether you have all of these accomplishments? Whether I live in a great palace and can have everything that I desire? If I don't have Jesus, it's all dust. But if I have Jesus, everything, from the breath that I breathe to the smile on the face of a friend, is an opportunity for wonderment as God blesses me not only with Himself, but manifold over manifold blessings of His goodness to me. We will have what we are looking for. If we are Christians, we have Jesus. And all of this, let us treasure the treasure. If Jesus came into this world to give us Himself, does He not want to pour into our lives His presence in good times and bad times? as he shows that he is sufficient and more than enough to meet the emptiness of our hearts. You can have the world or you can have him. But you can't have both. Jesus came into this world to save us from ourselves and to bring us to himself, both now and for eternity. Would you rather have salvation or would you rather have Jesus? They're the exact same thing. I hope you see it. Let's pray. Lord, we ache for this man, as well as many others, who come to the altar with contract in hand and refuse to trade their treasure because they're blind. Lord, we pray for this community and our friends and our family and our neighbors that they would see the wealth that is offered to them today. Lord, help us to live like this man in his rickety little shack. All this and Jesus too? We are to be envied more than all people, for we have you. Let us be worthy. No, that's not the right word. Let us enjoy and recognize your gift of salvation. We pray all of this in Christ's name.